So I turn on SmackDown Live this week. And by the way, great episode, right? Like top to bottom, the pacing was great. The action, everything gets me fired up. But it's my man Tyler Breeze essentially in a dress again. And Adam, I know like, look, he's hot right now with the comedy. Him and Fandango are doing slapstick stuff. But this is ripping my heart out. You got any feelings on this? I don't know. This is. I feel like this is what you and Nick wanted. Like you guys wanted this to continue. And I'm okay with it. I mean, it's better now than it was. And what I actually loved, what sold me on the segment was Ren- them cutting to Renee Young immediately after and her giving a reaction on camera. That like, was great. Like, what the hell Young was that? feels like a Mike Tanay backhanded reference, so I popped for that. But you know what I feel about Tyler Breeze. He's got Rick Martel, Dolph Ziggler potential, and they're making him into Santino Morella every week. Ima- I know he's my guy, right? Like, he's he's a Cam- he's a BC, he's a Campbell guy. Imagine Childhood Adam turns on the TV and they put Tatanka in a dress, all right? Come on, you're going to you're gonna be writing letters to your to your local senator there. You're, you'd be fired up angry. Come on. Yeah, I mean, if they did that with Tatanka, but... I mean, Tyler Breeze, you know how I feel. Look, look, he's talented in the ring. I think there's potential for him, but, you know, they're they're breaking up tag teams left and right, and Breezango's staying together. So I don't think he's going to be doing anything different anytime soon. The hashtag is free Tyler Breeze. I don't know if I have to pick it outside the arena. One of these days, this guy will get his due. Hit me with my music. The audio invasion continues in this corner with Brian Campbell. The pro wrestling edition is back and it's ready to pass your guard with an explosion of that performance enhancing audio. Yes, you know the kind I'm talking about. You're not hearing the the voice of the Greek, Nick Costos, who's on vacation this fine 4th of July week, visiting the motherland in greater NYC, swiping right like a prime Val Venus, I might add, and doing his best to fit into that boys' medium bullet club t-shirt. No, seriously, (laughs) check out my man's Instagram. He's been repping Kenny Omega and company hard for a good reason, though, which we'll get to in a minute. But before I run down the card for today's show, let me welcome in my tag team partner, the Honorable Silver King himself, Adam Silverstein. What's happening, my man? Hey now, yeah, we got Nasty Nick, Handsome Nick, up in NYC in his hometown, home state, doing some drinking, garavanting around, like you said, swiping left, swiping right, while we're here bringing it to you once again. Not only do we have a great Balls of Fire preview for you, not only are we going to talk New Japan Pro Wrestling in the main event, but we have booked the Destroyer, Samoa Joe, ahead of one of the biggest matches of his career against Brock Lesnar. That is how we do it here on In This Corner. Yeah, you think the Revival are the only top guys in pro wrestling? We're coming at you for your free time right now, top guy style, with yet another can't-miss show on the Combat Sports Carnival. So do me a favor, check out our other offerings on this busy holiday week. On the boxing show, Rafe Bartholomew joins me to recap that controversial Pacquiao horn fight from Australia. We'll also have a sit-down with Gennady Golovkin promoter Tom Loeffler, looking back on that five-year odyssey that was the making of Triple G before that huge September 16th showdown with Canelo Alvarez. we got an MMA show this week, ESPN's Brett Alcomodo joins me to preview Sunday's UFC 213 card and take a broader look at the state of MMA in general in 2017, you know, with Bellator's push, with the problems facing UFC under new ownership. And before we kick off this specific pro wrestling show, we remind you one more time to do your part. If you hear something today that you like, you know, if you see something, say something. Thank you, Daniel Bryan. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. 
Do your part to help keep this fine show operating at full level. And we got a great one for you today. And you know how it kicks off with the main event. And guess what? Item number one on this week's main event is not the WWE related because NJPW New Japan Pro Wrestling is making a move. We've talked about it in recent weeks on the show. This past weekend in Long Beach, California, a two-day event, Saturday, Sunday, the G1 Special in USA, the first independently promoted NJPW show in the States. It was a massive success for all the trouble I had trying to Chromecast it on my TV. It worked out. It happened there were some big matches in this two-day affair. And if you were on social media, you're seeing the crossover, the impact, the buzz that is generating from this. Adam, what are your sort of initial reactions to the quality of this event and the move that this company's taking right now? So the initial reaction is something I can't say on this podcast, so I'll go with holy cow instead. <laughs> um, man, I, I, like, I don't even – I'm at a loss for words because, look, I, I've watched some New Japan matches in the past. I've seen Lesnar over there. I've seen some other guys. Uh, you know, I went back and some, saw some Prince Devitt, you know, Finn Balor. Um, was really curious about it. Then I watched Okada Omega 1 and 2 because I was told I had to, and, and that was the correct thing to be told because they were awesome. Um, and then I decided, you know what, let me give this a shot. I'm going to watch a full two-day event. It's in the United States. There's going to be some Americans in there that I know. What better way to Jim get- Ross on the call. Jim Ross on the call. What, what a great way to get myself into it. And holy cow, man. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It was incredible. Um, you know, there were a lot of matches in there that I could have done without. There's some six-man tag, eight-man tags. Okay, by, hold on. by saying there's some six- and eight-man tag, you mean there's like 15 six- yeah. and eight-man tags. Yeah, and they're doing that to get a lot of their guys on the show. It's very That's a very WWE-esque move, and, and that's okay. But the singles matches in this G1 special tournament to determine the first United States champion, top to bottom, one after another, they were incredible. Brian, give me your initial overall feeling on what you saw. All right, you've heard me be honest in recent weeks where I wasn't following the NJPW product. I've come in and out for some of these big must-see matches. I've gone back and watched things. I'm a believer. I'm ready to jump in like Nasty Nick, buying buying the package, starting to watch the big ones, getting used to this a little bit more. It's absolutely incredible. Here's what hooks me above all. There's a raw element to the feel of the product that, honestly, I have not felt since the ECW days, since like 97, 98. Now, Comparing the two brands doesn't really work. It's obviously a different style than ECW completely. But I feel like there's two things that are comparable in here. One, we're watching something so different than what you normally see, than what you normally get from WWE, that feels so real that it feels extra special to begin with. It feels underground. It feels sort of raw, like... You may listen to the radio every day, but here, 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 this CD that got passed around to this underground band you never heard of. It has that feeling. Number two, everybody associated with NJPW feels invested into the product success. And there's like this group entrepreneurial feeling when that happens from the fans to the performers in the ring. I mean, you go back to Sunday night's main event when Kenny Omega wins the inaugural IWGP US heavyweight title. His promo after that match in the ring Felt a lot like Paul Heyman delivering a 1997 ECW promo about the state of the company and where they're going. And it really plays into what we talked about last week, which is Kenny Omega's decision not to jump ship to WWE in January of this year ahead of Rumble and and WrestleMania. And knowing that something special is happening here and he wants to be the face of it. So you sort of ask yourself. For anyone out there that hasn't watched it, why is this different or even possibly better than WWE? Well, there's certain things it's not better. Presentation-wise, it's not better overall sort of side entertainment aspects are not better, 
But it really, the bread and butter is in the ring is better. It feels raw. There's times it feels like a shoot MMA match. There's just, to me, it takes the sort of loose, fun, raw element of an indie show where there's these like strikes that happen and the crowd goes, ooh, and you're like, oh my God, like he really just kicked him in the face and mixes it with sort of the pro style of like WWE, add some MMA in there. And it's a product that's sort of different from anywhere I'm seeing in the world. Like, yeah, it looks and sounds a lot like Ring of Honor and a lot of the top Ring of Honor stars are there. It's a, if they join up with NJPW and do shows together, but it just feels different, Adam, to the point where, I'm not ready, obviously, to leave WWE behind. There's just things they do better. But this is, in my mind, maybe not financially, but in the hearts of real wrestling fans, finally, we have real competition. Agree or disagree to that last thing? No, I agree. I mean, I don't know how. It's not competition like ECW. It's not going to put WWE out of business anytime soon. What I will say is I drew an ECW comparison, too, but it wasn't to Heyman with that Omega promo. It, it was to Taz. And that that's kind of... That popped into my head, something that Taz, you know, he won the title or, or in a main event of a big ECW show, getting on the mic and just cutting just cutting it loose. And that, that's what it reminded me of. And I agree with you calling it, it felt underground. Now, when you watch the Japan shows, Dominion and Wrestle Kingdom, those don't seem underground. Those are well-produced. Those are in Japan. They're in stadiums. You're all there. It's still more raw than WWE, which is really, really, really polished, of course. But this G1 special in USA really felt underground and, and kind of grimy, and I like that. Um, you know, what, what people need to remember here is WWE and New Japan, they're going after completely different audiences. WWE is telling stories. They're creating characters. They're trying to sell a ton of merchandise, and they're, P- and they're, and they're PG. New Japan is putting on high-quality wrestling. You're going to hear some curse words. It's raw. You have those post-main event press conferences, which are incredible. And uh, on a quick tangent, I know people are saying, well, WWE should do that. You know, they have these post-Smackdown and Raw shows, and they have guys that are in the main event and, and you know, compete on those shows. So I think they are kind of already going in that more polished studio WWE, WWE way. They're kind of doing that. But what really struck me from New Japan versus WWE is the freedom. These wrestlers in New Japan, Omega, Okada, Ishii, everyone, even some of the more, you know, American, like Cody Rhodes, the guys that are not necessarily there all the time, they have complete freedom to tell stories, not just outside the ring, but in the ring. And you really feel like their ideas and their concepts and the storylines that they want to put forward are just, you know, rubber stamped. Okay, go ahead, go do it. Because, and, and it's really everything that has to do with the Bullet Club, too. And see, it seems like the Young Bucks come up with an idea. And Omega's like, all right, let's, I'm going to do that. And they just run with it. So <laughs> it works for me. It just works for me on so many different levels. No, well said completely. I had to give you the applause there. Yeah, the question now becomes what's the real potential here? This is their first U.S. show. They already said at, on the Sunday night show that they're coming back next year. But what's the real potential for making a dent in the in the WWE impact? I don't think financially there's a lot of real potential right now. It's just, I mean, the WWE it's such a massive engine, right? Like you're not even close on NJTPW. You're a drop in the bucket in terms of that regard. The real thing is, can you pull over so many hardcore fans that this now becomes their number one? And can it spread like wildfire, like ECW did where 
people are starting to get pulled in that are turned off to the WWE product. And they're like, this is what I want to see. To help the U.S. takeover, they need a bigger presence on American TV. Both Adam and myself, our specific cable packages, do not offer access TV, right? And it's right. it's sort of tape delayed. And, and yes, it's voiced over by Jim Ross, but he's only going to be there for so long, by the way. He's fulfilling the dates he had promised before signing that two-year WWE deal at WrestleMania. So it's like... They need they almost need to do and some, some people on Twitter have sort of brought up this idea. So so I'm sort of uh, reusing it, but film a bunch of shows NXT style in advance and sort of have a, a running sort of run there where the episodes connect to each other and you're telling a larger story. But you need a bigger platform than Access TV. Right. So hopefully that is the, the push, you know, and eventually to get there. Like, yes, they've got the the model, which is almost WWE Network like and the hardcores are going to find that no matter what. But you want this product to run into people that didn't expect to see it. So to do that, you got to get to that next level. I mean, even I mean, it's not easy, right? Like even TNA Impact Wrestling is only on pop TV. It's not easy, but that's got to be the way to, or am I just old school in that regard, Adam, where the new generation is unplugged anyway in terms of pulling, cutting the cable and cutting the cord, so that may not matter anyway. So they either need a TV, better TV presence, or they have to create an English-speaking website. Because I got to tell you, I, I signed up, I signed up for NJPW World. I used it all weekend, and the English website is basically a translation website of the Japanese website, which is fine if you're a small promotion, but if you're trying to grow an English audience, you need an English speaking website. You can hire two people, one guy to run it, one guy to write it. And are you clicking that ENG button at the top of the screen? I'm doing that. I'm doing Google translate both. I mean, they were, they, <laughs> it ended up working enough for me to like find what I was looking for, but it's a pain. It, it's just a pain in the yeah. ass and it's you not going to work. Joking that it takes sometimes up to four times to stream yeah. it. Uh, you know, for me to Chromecast it to my TV because the first time there's no picture, the second time it's in Japanese audio. The th- you know, it's like it's a constant thing. But when you get it, when you get it on the screen to play into my comment about it feeling raw and underground, it feels like I'm like like when you first figured out in the 90s how to work your cable box right. and like steal a paper, steal a, yeah. a pay-per-view or steal a, a, a Playboy channel or something. Like there used to be that trick on the cable boxes in the 90s where you hold down the power button and you tape a nickel to the top of it and then it keeps <laughs> the pay-per-view channel squiggly so you can kind of make out the nudity in there. It kind of feels like that. By the way, that's yeah. how I watched all the Tyson <laughs> fights in like the late 80s, early 90s. That's really funny. No, I mean, it's a good point, but I mean, you, you got to... Listen, if we're really talking how they can make a dent and how they're going to do it, you got to fix the website, number one, and get an internet presence in English that's unique and separate. That's what WWE does in other languages. Now, I'm not expecting them to go to WWE level, neither with an English-speaking website or the network itself, whatever, NJPW World, but it has to be better. It just has to be better. That's number one. Number two, you can't say we're going to be back in April. I mean, I understand that it takes time and money and resources to do this. They want to open up apparently a dojo in in L.A. and develop guys. And and that's all that's awesome. But you can't put nine months, ten months between shows. They have momentum right now, and they need to move on this momentum right now. I think the only way they have a real shot to disrupt the market in the United States is going to be to either acquire Ring of Honor or... Or just split some tours and dates and kind of jump on, maybe throw like top five guys on a bunch of Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor shows, broadcast those on NJPW. And teaming up to it, you know, on and off to a certain degree. Yeah, and they, they do team up, but but it's, it has to be much more integrated if they really want to do it. And it, honestly, I don't know what their money situation is. I don't know, you know, I don't know any specifics. I know WWE could, in theory, buy any one of them if they wanted to. But if NJPW could buy or or come into some 
you know, 50-50 split with Ring of Honor, you're all of a sudden talking about a lot more American stars, uh, a lot more TV access, uh, pay-per-view, so on and so forth, and you've just jammed these two companies together that, that seem to be getting along pretty well. So that's how I think it could happen. Other than that, if NJPW is going to try to do this on their own, I think it's going to be a difficult road for them. I, I, I mean... They're going to have Outside fans. Of being a niche, right? Outside of just being sort of that. Yeah, I mean, ECW uh, was a niche, and did they get a little bit big? Yeah, there was a while. They all of a sudden they got a bigger TV deal, and they were making pay per views, and they were a little bit more mainstream, and that really lasted eighteen months. And Although then, you know, one thing ECW did was change the business. It they did. did sort of light a spark into the Attitude Era, where where it sort of woke up to a degree, and you can the the. It's all gray, right? But to a degree, in theory, it pushed WWE to go even harder into the crazy extreme direction. But, but that's exactly why NJPW would need to team up with another organization yeah. because WWE felt threatened in some minor way by ECW. They don't feel threatened at all by New Japan right now. New Japan would have to do so much business in the United States to really, you know, put an, make an impact on WWE's product. If TNA is not making TNA impact. GFW, whatever the hell that is called now. If that's not making an impact, NJPW is five years away from doing it. But I think there is a slice of the market that they can get. And, you know, look, Nick, uh, yourself and, and I, we just started really paying attention to this and we are bought in. Now, I'm not going to watch it every single week. I'm going to I'll watch the G1 special and I'll, and I'll do all the things that you're supposed to do in terms of watching New Japan. But I'm not, I'm not going to be able to keep up with this every single week. But we're bought in. We know these guys. We're excited. I spent a few hours over the weekend reading about them. Here's what they did right. They, they, have, an Ameri- they have an English-speaking person who's also the best wrestler in the world, arguably, Kenny Omega on top. There's the right. Young Bucks, the, the tag team champs who they're keeping in a prominent role, you know, again, who speak English, you know, have, have the American look, all of that. They're smart having Cody, the ROH champion, in a, in a big spot as well. But the problem when you're competing against WWE, and you kind of teased this uh, accidentally in your last response, is that and in the end, WWE will cut like ECW changed the business, but then WWE also started poaching their top talent. So in the end, WWE might not only copy what's good with NJPW, but just pull their talent. And if you look at recent history, by the way, they took AJ Styles, you know, Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura after they got built up to a very, you know, and Gallows and Anderson after they got built up to a high level. And you look at now Kazuchika Okada, the champion in New Japan wrestling, who's incredible, right? was in the crowd Monday night in Phoenix at Raw. And, Adam, you were telling me that there's sort of a history of him attending WWE shows in the past. It might not be, oh, he's back there signing a blood document with Triple H. <laughs> like That's probably not the case. <laughs> but if he's going from L.A. to Phoenix to Raw, that has to mean something. And, Adam, something you and I both picked up on quickly – Seth Rollins also added that adapter to his finishing move, which is a playoff of Okada's Rainmaker, where before he delivers that clothesline, he spins his opponent around into him. You see Rollins doing that now with the knee. Did you feel like that was a direct homage to Okada, who was reportedly backstage and in the crowd? So let's let's take that in two parts. First of all, out of anyone currently in New Japan, Okada is made for WWE. Like I know Japanese fans don't want to hear that, fans of NGPW. But this guy is a WWE talent on the level of Shinsuke Nakamura in terms of presentation, in-ring ability. Um, he's he speaks good English. I mean, very, better than very ring, by the way, he's better, he's way better than yeah, ring. yeah. Oh, oh, well, sure. But uh, speaks English well, has a presence. Um, you can see that he has like a couple sides to his personality. Okada is going to be in WWE. It may not be soon, but he's going to be there. I he's like 28 too, so he's right in his prime. Oh yeah, and I like Omega kind of taking the stance of you know I'm going to go make it over here and do this. 
and I'm sure at some point later in his career he'll be in WWE at least for a year or two. I mean, it'll happen. But Omega, I'm not as... I mean, look, he's amazing in the ring, and, and I like that promo. I don't necessarily know that he's made for WWE the same way that I believe Okada is. To answer, so to answer... Um, the other part of your question. What was that again? I'm forgetting, actually. Oh, I think that was a tip of the cap to, to Okada. Oh, way, Okada oh. gives me a, a, rock, a rock feeling, a rock, rocky feeling. I mean, in, in a weird way, the presence-wise, yeah. just the way he sort of presents himself. Yeah, no, it was I, great. It was great. But you were talking about the Seth Rollins finisher. That was the thing. So, uh, you know, I had to research this because I was shocked when I saw it because now I actually recognize what a Rainmaker is. Like, I, you know, I, I know. I know what the move is. Uh, apparently he's been doing it in some form or fashion since April, I guess when he f- got over the pedigree after he beat Triple H, not not using that anymore. But this is a thing, I mean, Kenny Omega you know, sent a tweet back in April or May or something like that, kind of calling out in a joke-serious fashion Rollins for taking you know, his V-trigger knee, which is basically what that move is. It's actually his rain, it's a rain trigger, it's a combination of the Rainmaker and the V-trigger knee. So is he biting that move a little bit? Maybe, yeah, I I, I kind of felt as someone who just watched a ton of those two moves over <laughs> over a period of two days, I was like, wow, he really just ripped that off. I, I don't know how those guys feel about it. That's something that we should probably ask some wrestlers, you know, that we interview on this podcast in the future. What is, you know, the right thing to do regarding either taking a move, borrowing, do you ask permission? I'm kind of curious how he developed that and and how he wound up with that as his finisher. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's just, uh, oh, man, I'm just fired up for this. It's really, everything's interesting. By the way, uh, uh, Kenny Omega, he's a true star. He was the MVP of the weekend for me. They, they gave him three standout matches. He was a part of that tournament for the first US IWGP title. He was the main event on Sunday night. It was obvious, you know, he was the push. There was the tease, by the way, that Cody yeah. Rhodes would, would turn on him all weekend and almost the mega powers explode. And you felt like they were going to cash that in after Omega defeated Ishii in one hell of a physical match that was fantastic. And Sunday night's main event, Cody grabbed the belt out of his hands. You know, and that's, a, that's a sexy belt, that red belt. That's a, nice red, belt. I, that's a hell of a belt. They are building big things there. And one other mention about WWE poaching. It, I didn't pick up on this at first, but now it makes a ton of sense. It makes sense that WWE rehired Jim Ross, who was the voice of NJPW. It makes sense that they also didn't let go more Ronaldo, who was the voice of NJPW in the States before Jim Ross took over that job after Moro initially signed with SmackDown. If you are going to try to make a dent in the States, having Jim Ross or Moro Ronella as your announcer will only help that. Having them off of that product is another smart, stiff-arm WWE move. Quickly to wrap on this, and Adam, I could have gone an hour on this. That's how yeah. fired up I am breaking down the, the minutia and how much I enjoyed this product. What was your match of the weekend from G1 Special in the U.S.? So it comes down to two. One for sentimental reasons, one because it was the ma- the best match. So the sentiment. I'll start with the sentimental, and that, that's the Young Bucks match. Um, obviously, they... Uh, you know, have an homage to, to Dave Meltzer uh, of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter um, in their finisher, the Meltzer Driver, um, which is, you know, very nice in general. Uh, Dave's father, as it turns out, passed away this past week. Uh, the Young Bucks went on Twitter and basically said, we're going to do a very special Meltzer Driver, which basically is a pile driver. Um, and they did it from outside the ring, one jumping off the top rope and kind of adding some extra impact. They shouted out Meltzer's father during the match, I think twice. Um, and the match itself was awesome on top of it. They obviously won. And oh, the re- spots were sick. Yeah, the spots were sick and retained their title. So from a sentimental standpoint, I loved that. I mean, it's rare that you get that in wrestling, breaking the fourth wall, and they do it a lot, but 
with this actually having some meaning, um, I know it meant a lot to Dave, and it certainly meant a lot to fans who watched it, who read that newsletter and have probably for decades, um, and also watched you know the G1 special. So that was really cool. I want to make sure that got it's just due. Good on them for doing that. But the ma- I mean the the best match was Omega Ishi, and I'll tell you this, you know people love Omega, people love Okada. I love Ishi. That guy is awesome, and that little. You know, thing he did when uh, I think what was it? Omega was trying to power bomb him off the ropes into a table outside the ring, and he he didn't have his arms, he didn't have his legs. He used his mouth to hold onto the top rope. Real spot. incredible spot. Reminded me a little bit of Kevin Owens uh, with the finger, you know, at WrestleMania with uh, Chris Jericho, you know, to to break the pinfall. Um, or it was a submission. I don't even remember, but. Loved the spot, loved the match. It was the last match. It was the main event of the whole show. But Omega's fantastic, and Ishii is my guy right now in NGPW. I'd love to hear that. So Omega Ishii was the best match of the weekend. It wasn't my favorite, though. My favorite was Saturday night when Okada defended the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Cody Rhodes, who came in there with that Ring of Honor belt, because they built it up so well to say to, to at least make you question, look, this is the first U.S. show. They're trying to appeal to a U.S. audience. We have Cody from the WWE recently departed, who, by the way, we can do another half hour on the year he's had since leaving WWE. I, you, it led you to believe, are they going to toss the belt on him? Are they just going to, like, for the sake of, of just making a splash, are they going to put the belt on? So that that sort of feeling in the back of my mind lingered. It wasn't, in the end, the best match of the weekend in-ring, but it was pretty damn close. And one thing that N- the Greek, Nick Costos, I'll speak for him, that he kept texting me, is it was the best match we've ever seen of Cody's career. And I say without a doubt that was the most entertained I was. And one thing, I came into this weekend from what I've seen being an Omega guy in the end, right? And the Okada-Omega debate, I'm like... Omega's just so nasty. He's everything I want in a wrestler. You know, speaks English, looks like DDP, all this great stuff. He's incredible for his size. He's amazing. I came out of rewatching the two Omega Okada matches and then rewatching this Cody match. Now you say Ishii's your guy. Okada is my guy. And maybe I fall for the for the flamboyancy of him, especially during his ring entrance. But he is so incredible that he completely won me over. And the, the sort of spot in this match that made it my favorite moment was how Cody lost it. Because you had Omega running to ringside, threatening to throw in the towel. And you had, you had Cody's wife, Brandy Rhodes, there. It was a throwback to the first Okada Omega match where Cody came down and kind of threatened to do the same thing. And not only did Cody turn the match around, but suddenly you start to get this feeling like Omega and Cody are having issues. And then when Cody pointed at Omega and put Okada over his head and tried to attempt the Rainmaker, and essentially that's how he lost the match because Omega got out of it, hit him with the finisher, got the pin. That was that obvious in your face that we have a mega power situation here. And you know how I pop for the mega powers. So that was my moment of the weekend. Again, I could go an hour on this. We got to get out of NJPW, but well done. More to come in the future. One quick question. Since you mentioned that you, the uh, United States title, IWGP United States title, first of all, that's the type of belt that should have a red backing. You know, not a red leather, not necessarily the universal title in WWE. But I'm curious because this just came to me yesterday while I was watching SmackDown. I might be giving it away. What do you think is the best looking title in wrestling right now? Championship belt. I'm still a giant white intercontinental title fan. Some of it is because of the respect for the lineage of that belt, but I love that white backing on it. That's still my favorite belt. So I liked that belt actually more. I'm a rare person when Razor Ramon had it and it had the black back. That okay. was that was my favorite belt of all time. Currently, I love the look of the SmackDown Tag Team titles. It's weird. It's just like a weird title to pick, but it has that silver face and the dark blue background. It's great. Like that's a really sharp title. You saw the Usos with it. We're going to talk about them later. Um, but you saw the Usos with it on Raw, just shining under those lights. That is for me the sharpest looking title in wrestling right now. 
I cannot hate on that. Number two in the main event this week. Also not what you might expect, right? This is from NXT. We talked to teased it last week. It's last Wednesday's episode of NXT, the main event. Asuka defeated Nikki Cross in a last women standing match to defend her NXT Women's Championship, to keep that unbeaten streak alive and to absolutely interrogate and destroy my field spot, which, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to punt the field spot segment this week because this yep. was the absolute field spot moment right here to the point, Adam, where, look, I pop, you know, I love Oscar, you know, I love Nikki Cross, you know, I love everything that this had to do with how physical two women went in there to the point where I think we need to have the conversation where does this match rank with the finish of that suplex through the announce table off of a ladder in best WWE female matches, not just of 2017, but really of the past year when they took a, or even the past two years when they took a considerable leap with the Bailey Sasha Banks, Iron Woman match with the feud that Charlotte and Sasha had, including the hell in the cell. How does this match compare to this, to that era? Because to me, it's probably my favorite women's match in WWE that I've seen. So it's my favorite. There's no question in terms of what was the most entertaining. It's number one. Uh, past year, past 18 months, whatever you want to call it. I have to, I'd have to re-watch some of those Sasha Bailey matches to determine whether it's actually the best match. You know, we don't really get into match ratings here. Um, but I, I loved it. I mean, let's put it this way. That match on an NXT taped television show was more extreme than the women's Money in the Bank match one <laughs> or two. It was more extreme than the Hell in the Cell match, and it was better than all three. I mean, it was the best women's match at least in months, if not a year, if not longer. They, WWE on the main roster should force the 12 or 14 women to sit down together and watch that match and say, these are the two best women performers in WWE because I believe that. Now, Nikki Cross, personally, I don't love. I, 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 I understand the character. I understand the character. It just seems a little forced, the manicness, her being that crazy um, every single time. There's never really a differentiation in the character. So I don't necessarily love the character. I think she's a really good performer. But when you talk about wrestling and, and entertaining in a ring uh, during the match between the Bells, her and Asuka are one and two. Asuka is the best woman in the company. Not even a question about it. In my yes. Mind. Yes. Okay. First of all, how dare you on Nikki Cross? The manic thing is what makes her. Yeah, yeah. Her spots are incredible. She's so physical. She's like sneaky hot in this weird barbaric way. Mm. Everything about her, she might be, she's pushing it. Okay. Number one, Asuka is the best woman in the company. You nailed it. She finally found somebody that can keep up with her and that can push her with the level of intensity to get this type of match out of Asuka. I know it was a special circumstance because there was weapons involved. It was a physical last woman standing match. This was incredible. The conversation is essentially what you said of not just the whole roster sitting down and watching this match when they leave NXT there's still a problem because it still feels like the booking wise of women's matches on the main roster they are not allowed to have these type of matches it's not just Sasha and Bailey in the Iron Woman match that was legendary remember that four-way from the year before from 2015 yep. of the four horse women I mean there has been some incredible NXT women's matches involving all of those women that we know Sasha Charlotte 
Becky, all of those, okay? And when they come to the main roster, for the most part, they're not allowed to have the same type of match. It's not just not giving them the time. I think it's the difference between Triple H booking, in my honest opinion, and Vince and Kevin Dunn and everybody else booking on the main roster. So that's right there. I think Cross is a star in the making. I think Asuka's unbelievable. This match was so physical and felt so real that I have my twin nine-year-old sons watching it with me. Their mom was away for the night. I did this total awesome dad thing. and We broke out and watched this match. And one of them was very sensitive, woke up with nightmares and was talking about the match in his sleep because it was like so physical and intense. And even the, and I should have been like, oh, dad, you screwed up. No, dad didn't screw up. Dad showed them a real match. All right. Dad, dad won this one. This match is a winner across the board. You hope that this sets the stage for better matches like this in all of the women's divisions. I know the roster on NXT is really thin for breakthrough women's stars. Like I, I love Peyton Royce, but she's not a breakthrough women's star. There's still a long way to go. When these two, Nikki Cross and Asuka, hit the main roster, I think big things can happen if they let it. If they let it, Adam. So let me jump into a, a Call Me Crazy segment real quick. Call Me Crazy, but is Asuka the best performer wrestler, period, in NXT right now? Wow. Period. Ma- male or female? Leap for me. Right now, she might be, and you just made that leap for me. And by the way, for how she's limited on the mic, I think it works. They do this segment with her a lot where they either have her in a car or they have her sitting by a pool and she sort of just talks trash and sort of like three and four word like phrases and sentences. And it's perfect where it like holds back Shinsuke to a certain degree that he can't speak to that level. For her, it's almost perfect because she just gives these little mini sentences. Yeah, she's the best thing going in NXT. The reason why a lot of people listening to this won't agree with that is she hasn't had the people to push her to the level. Really, her best matches lately have involved Nikki Cross, whether it was this one, whether it was the three-way the week before, or whether it was that one at NXT TakeOver Orlando that we saw where Nikki Cross went through a table and, and they just had that incredible – what was that, a four-way match? They just mm-hmm. had that incredible – like, or maybe that wasn't that. That was probably the TakeOver before. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Oh, we saw Ember Moon defend it. Right, uh, Oscar defend against Ember Moon. It was the pay, it was the takeover before that. It's got when Cross and her together. She needs better competition, so she needs to go up. It's time. Send Oscar up. It's time. All right. End of story. I would, I would send her up as the NXT champion. Like yes. they did it with Paige. Now Paige had to relinquish the belt. I don't think you make her relinquish the belt. I think you bring her on to. Ah, uh, man, I don't even know. I guess Raw, right? She'd have to go to Raw. You bring her on to Raw. And and have her do the I need comp the, the Strowman I need competition. There's no competition for me in NXT anymore. And you kind of roll with it that way. I I do like Ember Moon down in NXT. I think she has potential. Um, but they really I mean you talk about them depleting their male roster. They really depleted their women's roster because they had just so few women that were really in the spotlight as these women can actually win the title. Whereas WWE to their credit, you there's if there's a more believable spread of women who can actually be champion. On both rosters. I mean, on it's, Smack- not hard, it's not a hard fix, by the way. And I've said this forever. Take Emma, take Dana Brooke, bring them back to NXT, Correct. and let them put these younger people over. That, that's how you connect the dots. That's WWE's, in my opinion, right now. And you can talk about in-ring product and storylines and booking and Vince still having you know master control over everything. The biggest problem in WWE right now, in my opinion, is their refusal to bring people back to NXT. You know, we're going to have an interview with Samoa Joe coming up later. He made a huge name for himself on the indie scene, whatever, and he still was in NXT for a long time, two time champion. You can take the Ascension, bring him back down. You can take, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, you're right. You preach into the choir. Fandango, just, if you need to, or, or Luke Harper. Bring Luke, Luke Harper back down to NXT. Make him NXT champion with a new gimmick and a feud against Bobby Roode. That's better than any main event type deal they got going on right now. All right, let's get to the quick-hitting segments. We're going to start off here with Hero or Zero. You know it, you love it. Adam, hit me with the first one. 
I think you're hitting me with the first one, if I'm, if I'm correct. Uh, I was way off there. SmackDown Live rap battle. This had the potential to be a train wreck, but was it with Wale as New Day took on the Usos, Adam, Hero, or Zero? You're right. This had two directions, massive train wreck failure or pretty good, because it, it was never going to be great. Hero, guy, Hero, Brian, look, I could sit here and nitpick because I do like to do that. I like rap. I like rap battles. I'm not going to nitpick. The delivery may have been iffy, but the rhymes were good. It was well-written. There were legitimate shots that were fired, and the segment came off as authentic, as authentic as it could be to have a rap battle in a WWE ring. Wally is tremendous. He's a huge wrestling fan. I think some people know that. Others may not. He should be allowed to do whatever he wants in WWE. He was great. New Day was great. The Usos were amazing. Massive, massive hero. Yeah, massive hero. Look, I even love that they're bringing in jobbers to have like as hype men behind them. I love that part of it. Obviously, it's a hero when you're referencing Xavier Woods' sex tape. You're referencing Kofi Kingston purposely dropping the Jamaican accent because he didn't want to get typecast in that character. I love when they bring that back. You're referencing that the fact that sometimes the Usos got that little roll on the stomach. I mean, they were going deep here with double Ds on, on, on Big E. Big hero all the way. So up next, we have a free agent uh, running back, D'Angelo Williams, formerly of the Steelers. He made his wrestling debut with Impact at the Slammiversary, was it 15 now? Pay-per-view in Orlando. Brian, hero or zero for D'Angelo Williams competing in wrestling and how he performed in this event? Look, I'm going to give him a hero because he looked like a natural. And reports from from Moose, the, the former NFL lineman and TNA star, was that he only really trained a couple of days for this. You know, he looked really good in the ring. And I and I didn't, of course, I mean, this was a tough spot Sunday night for this TNA or sorry, Impact Wrestling Slammiversary card. It's their big Super Bowl, of course. And it's going up against, uh, you know, all the all the smart marks are on, on Twitter are obviously watching the, the New Japan show. You know, if not, what else is going on in the world of sports? Tough spot. I give him credit for bringing in Roflo, Robert Flores on the call, by the way. I didn't watch the whole card. I watched D'Angelo Williams' match, and I thought he was great. I thought I want to see more of him. Like, he was like, athletically, it just fit perfectly. And by the way, they had the potential for a train wreck match in here where they brought back Scott Steiner. They had a two-on-two match, the tag team that they've been building forever, which is Jeremy Borash, the longtime announcer, against Josh Matthews, the play-by-play announcer. They'd been feuding for months. And by the way, this was like this surprise, awesome match where it spilled out of the ring. It went back and then they showed some pre-tape segments that you were supposed to believe were live where they got in a car and they ended up back at the hotel pool and they're doing like suplexes and, you know, each other. You make up for the fact that these two announcers obviously can't wrestle, even though Matthews had a cup of coffee once as a wrestler. And you have these funny spots and it's tongue in cheek the whole time. It's exactly what the House of Horrors match wasn't because WWE wasn't trying to be tongue in cheek. They were trying to pass it off as real. This reminded me of when TNA was was actually last really good and that was 2016 and it was because of the hardys but because of what the hardys were doing the rest of the product was raised up i give this whole thing a hero well done tna your impact wrestling global force jeff jarrett whatever you want to call it <laughs> they didn't make a giant dent although you did have el patron right against bobby lashley in the main event not bad right not he could be worse but i give d'angelo williams a hero so i'm not going to speak to impact gfw in general because I don't watch it. I've never watched it. And I'll be honest, I don't think I'm ever going to watch it. But I will talk to D'Angelo Williams because I watched this match, got a copy of it. I really wanted to see it. For me, it's the most impressive performance from a non-wrestler, I would say, ever. Now, there's been some really good ones. The guy from Arrow who jumped in in WWE, the actor. Was that Stephen ML? Something like that. that. He was impressive. When Maria Menounos uh, comes into WWE, and, and she had like one or two matches. I was impressed with her, too. I was like, wow, she's pretty good. This guy's an athlete. He's an NFL running back. He's incredibly athletic. 
it was the fact that he only trained three days, according to Moose. He's dropping sentons, uh, doing clotheslines. Um, what did I say? A Samoan drop. Uh, he did a frog splash off the top rope. He missed, and he could have really hurt himself, but he still did it. I was so impressed. Hero for D'Angelo Williams, not just in uh, you know Impact Wrestling. If you follow, you should follow him on Twitter. He's a really funny, really good dude. It seems like so. Hero for D'Angelo Williams as a person, and most certainly as a wrestler. Adam on Tuesday also on SmackDown, the face that used to run the place is back. John Cena returned. He jawed with Rusev. It was the opening segment of the night. It did not extend past that point. Yeah, John Cena returning in this spot. Did it win you over, Hero or Zero? So I'm going to split this, but so the opening promo was a hero. I mean, Cena said exactly what he needed to say. I loved the line about, I'm not a part-timer, I'm an all-timer. Uh, he explained the free agency. Hey, look, I may only have you know a couple years left doing this you know, with regularity, so I'm going to be in as many matches, as many good feuds as I possibly can. I loved it. Love that. The whole thing was a zero because – that did not save the stupidity of what followed. Look, you and I both predicted on this podcast last week that Rusev is, was going to show up on SmackDown. Uh, I thought it was obvious, and it, of course, happened. What I was hoping would happen is you'd put some heat on Rusev, have him attack Cena from behind, hurt him, grab the mic. You know, this is my return, too. Basically say everything he just said, but with anger and, and you know, giving him some heat, making him a heel. Instead, he just came out on stage with a Bulgarian flag and said, yeah, well, they didn't. They, this is your return. It's mine too, John. And uh, yeah, they don't. They don't give me any respect. Like that's not Rusev. That's not a, a character. That's not a heel. It's just some kind of pathetic wrestler who isn't getting his just due. That's not him. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, and and so, and then John Cena ch- challenges him to a flag match. Which, if it was going to be on SmackDown on July Fourth, I'm okay with it. It's gimmicky. It's corny. It's old school. Fine. Instead, they're doing it in three weeks at a pay per view at Battleground. <laughs> who who cares about a flag match in three weeks? It's irrelevant. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So a zero because, oh, Cena's return, it was good. Like, the, the initial promo was good. But WWE, as usual, overthought it, overbooked it, and ruined it. Zero. See, I give it a zero because they underthought it. Because all this got exposed to was a ratings grab. Do you know what they did? They took Cena's same promo he delivered to The Miz, which was once red hot in the build-up to WrestleMania, about being a part-timer. No, I'm an all-timer. Like, it was essentially the same thing. And then you just, like you mentioned, you just sort of watered down Rusev, and then it goes nowhere. Like, it didn't even rehash later. They didn't even attempt to have a match, and then it got, you know, busted apart in the first minute because somebody ran in and broke it. Like, it was just a complete ratings grab. Zero. And I know Cena's now, well, because I'm such an all-timer, or I'm just going to float. No, that once again, WWE, you exposed yourself in that statement as saying, wherever the ratings are needed, we'll pull Cena away from whatever he show he's doing to do the same spot over again. Zero to the point that we need to get away from this conversation. So, you, congratulations, you, you played yourself. The one argument I'm going to make there is this. If he's going to sit there and call out the top guys on both shows, I mean, you had Cena call out Styles, Nakamura, Samoa Joe, oh. uh, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, which may be setting something up. I'm okay with that. I thought that was a lot more effective than it would have been otherwise. Um, just having him call out like four guys on SmackDown and say, hey, I'm on SmackDown. So the free agent thing is an obvious ratings grab. I totally agree. I mean, I think we're on the same page there. But if you're going to turn it into something, I'm glad they at least turned it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I'm going to give you an and we move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, last up here on Hero or Zero this week. We had AJ Styles winning the Battle Royal for the number one contendership uh, to face Kevin Owens for the United States title at Battleground. 
what did you think of how WWE got here? Because the Battle Royal itself was obviously nothing special. Hero Zero. So I have the opposite reaction. I had a complete zero, and I, and I ranted on it last week about how much I hate that they've ruined this feud, which could have been gold. And instead, they kept Styles and Owens, for the most part, separated, even though they kept it loosely together that they're actually feuding. Like we saw KO jobbing to Shinsuke in consecutive weeks. Like, it, there'd been no fire. Yet... I got to be honest, the Battle Royal and the main event and sort of the 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 way they set it up and AJ had to almost do a Daniel Bryan WrestleMania 30 thing situation, which, which win a play-in match against Chad Gable, which may have been the match of the week. Like, seriously, like that match was fantastic. And then the Battle Royal itself, even though it was predictable, even though, of course, AJ is going to win and you're going to continue and hopefully you're going to pick up where you left off when they did have that pay-per-view match because Owens against Jericho, or I'm sorry, Owens against AJ part one was fantastic a couple months ago. The match itself had some storylines in it that showed some, cre- you know, creativity and attention to detail with Ty Dillinger almost going over in the end, which reminds you that they do have plans for this guy. And then the, the possible break apart of the hype pros, which may have been a little bit predictable, but it was fun to see. Maybe I'm just a big mark for for my man, you know, Zack Ryder. And that's definitely true. And Mojo as well. But I thought in the end, it's a it's a light hero. Because it entertained me, I didn't crap on it, and in the end, you know, we're back where we need to be. So you explained in that why it was a zero, and that's because it was predictable. Look, we knew... I I had low expectations, right? I had such low expectations. But we knew AJ AJ Styles was going to be there. We knew that Sami Zayn would be at the end of the match, because Sami Zayn's always at the end of those types of matches. The surprise was Dillinger, who got in some good offense, flipped those guys over. I was like... Oh, you know, they're giving this guy a little push, two segments in one night. Um, I was glad to see, by the way, Jason Jordan was in that match. At least he hasn't disappeared from the face of the earth. He's still apparently capable of wrestling. Um, But it was a zero for me. Look, again, I'm happy for the Styles-Owens match. Like, I want that, and it's going to be cool that it's at Battleground. I actually think there's a chance Styles wins the title because they may want to continue that feud to SummerSlam. I don't know how you do it, you know, unless there's an actual title change. But... I don't know, man. For me, I thought SmackDown was really solid, but that did not do it for me. So zero for me. All right. That is your hero or zero. It's great balls of fire time. Before we get down and preview the the matches you're going to see on Sunday night, let's talk to one of the biggest factors in this and one of the hottest reasons this has been a, a really strong build. Samoa Joe himself. Let's hear what he has to say. This Sunday at Great Balls of Fire from Dallas, Texas, Samoa Joe, you will be challenging the beast Brock Lesnar for his WWE Universal Championship. The event, of course, streaming live on the WWE Network at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Joe, something has felt different about this feud in the best possible way, right? Like the trash talk just feels not just incredibly real. It just feels noticeably different compared to anything else we're seeing on the product. How how much can you identify with that? How much was that sort of the plan all along? It's been incredible. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with um, just myself and Brock's personalities. Uh, and, and Paul Heyman obviously is, is a big part of this too. Um, you know, uh, there's just been kind of a, an innate chemistry there that uh, has kind of worked out to what you've uh, seen over the the, the, the the past few weeks. Because sometimes people say, when they're watching a WWE feud build and they're like, you know, real people don't talk like that when they're in a real fight on the street or, you know, in a parking lot or something. Uh, this one feels like that's the kind of trash talk you would address somebody if they just, you know, crossed you in public or put their hands on your on your girl. Was there anything sort of calculated in that regard? It, it's funny. Uh, I'd, I'd love to say there was, but I think, um, you know, kind of uh, a little bit of leeway was given. And uh, it's it's really just kind of a product of uh, 
of us, uh, you know, really kind of bring to the forefront a, a lot of that emotional, of that feeling that, you know, you have, uh, you know, before kind of those, uh, you know, those, those, those big fight situations. So, um, it, it's just, it's, it's been kind of a, you know, a hands-off thing. They've, uh, you know, Brock does what, whatever the hell Brock wants. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, known to, uh, kind of, uh, you know, kind of come off the cuff, uh, whenever, uh, given the opportunity. So, uh, it's resulted in a lot of what you've seen. Hey, Joe, you, you know, you mentioned Paul Heyman a few moments ago, and I was kind of wondering how much of a role, you know, outside of on screen, um, did he actually play in the development of this feud and of this, you know, entire storyline leading up to Great Balls of Fire? I think Paul Heyman is, is, is such a big personality that, um, uh, and, 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 and is always given the proverbial live mic that, um, you know, he's, he's a huge reason of, of, as, of why this has kind of come off the way it has and why things have escalated the way they have. So, um, you know, he, Paul, of course, has, has played a huge role. Joe, when you win this fatal five-way at Extreme Rules just a couple months back, the thought from everybody watching, you know, fans, critics, journalists, everybody is, oh, yeah, right? Like, Brock Joe is going to be a violent car wreck of the best kind. There's going to be strong style, maybe hopefully a hard way. Like, this is like an MMA shoot match. That's us, the fans. From you, the perspective of the performer, what excited you most about finally getting this chance to work with Brock? I've, I've kind of faced the, I guess, the, the more... Uh, dangerous people throughout the industry in, in, in my lifetime. And even before I'd, I'd stepped foot into a WWE ring, I mean, I remember, you know, going to, to, uh, you know, Jim Ross's live show before I ever signed anything with, with the company, you know, claiming I wanted Brock Lesnar and, um, you know, Brock Lesnar is, is one of those, you know, once in a, in a lifetime, if not once, uh, in a millennium athletes who, uh, is just uh, it's just a great opportunity for me to kind of go out there and apply my trade and test my skill against the very best, and that's something that I've always wanted to do. And you know, Brock ranks among the very best and uh, uh, very dangerous athletes that have ever stepped into the ring. Now, leading into this match, and really since you've jumped on the main roster, the it's the Coquina Clutch that's really been featured. But I know there's a lot of fans curious about what happened to the Muscle Buster. Is it retired is it banned are you are you working on something else where does that stand right now because for a lot of people that's one of their favorite finishing maneuvers it's really devastating uh, i am a big proponent of uh always having something a little bit extra in the arsenal and uh stuff come up to uh the raw roster um I've, I've, i'm picking and choosing my time when uh when uh, or actually when the situation actually permits that uh I uh, might uh, use it and uh, bring it back into the fold. Absolutely. I'd pop for that in a big way. But look, Joe, you make this incredibly impactful debut on the main roster in January, which you referenced. You're you're making me go nuts because you're wearing the fitted suits like a hired hitman. This is like four horsemen in the 80s. Like this is this is professional beatdown. This is what I like. Almost inexplicably, though, you don't have a role at WrestleMania. I don't expect you to complain now. Every, the business is, is where it should be. But when you look back at WrestleMania, what were your feelings of, of not appearing on that card? I think that I think I think anytime you're in, a, in an environment where you know, for for lack of a better analogy, the Super Bowls being played and you're stuck on the sidelines, yeah, it's extremely frustrating. Uh, that being said, um, you know, b- before I'd made my my debut on the Raw roster, 
um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of things were kind of already uh, in place. Um, and, and another big thing is, you know, it's just uh, it's it's getting kind of the getting the raw, raw roster kind of used to uh, what I have to offer. And um, you know, now that I've been given this opportunity against uh, in, in my first Universal Title opportunity, um, you know, I think now the raw roster and the raw staff as a whole kind of understand what I bring to the table. So uh, it's something that I don't worry about happening in the future. So prior to you joining the raw roster, you obviously spent some time in NXT, uh, only two-time champion, of course. Uh, but that came after spending you know more than a decade making your name for yourself outside of WWE and some other big promotions, both domestic and international. What were the conversations like when you joined WWE about Triple H or Vince or whomever uh, wanting you to start an NXT as opposed to the main roster? Well, uh, you know, my, my initial contact was with Triple H and, um, you know, NXT at the time was, was kind of exploding and becoming something uh, far more than what it was. Uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was a, a developmental uh, kind of minor league system, but it had this big influx of talent before I had arrived that really, you know, made something much more than that, something that people wanted to see. And uh, I think I think Triple H wanted to keep the momentum going. He wanted to give it a shot in the arm and, and, and help establish it as a worldwide international brand. And a big part of that reasoning is why I was brought in to NXT was to build it into that international touring brand to uh, you know add that punch of legitimacy and excitement for you know somebody like I said who you know who's had the career that I've had to come into the on the NXT side. It kind of was something meant to, you know, enhance and, and, and make it something more than what it was. And I'm happy to say that by the time I left NXT, I, I feel it was. Yeah, no doubt. And Joe, along the same lines of, of this uh, right now, when you enter WWE, it was like your resume spoke for itself, right? Like you have a history of five-star matches. You have a history of putting across toughness. You, you've wrestled everywhere in the world, so to speak. With that said, though, I think you've in some ways taking your overall presentation to almost a new level in the time you've been on the main roster, which of course started, you know, with that push on NXT and then, and then debuting on raw from your perspective, what's different about the Samoa Joe that we're seeing now with WWE from the guy over the last decade? I think it's a culmination of, uh, of my journey thus far and, and given a being given a platform where, um, you know, I, I can express myself, and, and do the things that I want to do on, on a much larger scale. And um, I, it's, it's something that I just haven't had the opportunity to do in the past. And, you know, now that I'm here in WWE, uh, you know, I'm probably being exposed to and speaking to the largest audience uh, I ever have in my career. So um, anytime I give that opportunity, um, it, it amps me up. It makes me want to uh, kind of improve my performance tenfold. Do you feel like this is the best work of your entire career? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I always, I'm, I'm often asked, you know, what, what's your favorite match or, you know, what's your favorite time period? And I, and I, and I'm, it, to me, it's it, that, that time period, that match hasn't occurred yet. And, uh, I kind of keep that mantra in the back of my head because, you know, when you start to settle on what's your favorite, this or that, I feel that, you know, decline is imminent and, uh, you know, I'm looking to expand and broaden and, and keep doing great things in the future. You obviously have a lot of guys still to go through on both the Raw roster and then if you ever end up over on SmackDown, but is there someone who, whether you fought them or not, 
uh, who's out there in another organization right now that you either think should be or wish was in WWE for you to compete against? Um, you know, obviously, I think I think Okada's work over the past few years has been tremendous. I've worked with him for a number of years and uh, think uh, think highly of him both as a, a performer and a person. Um, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd love to see the Young Bucks uh, uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, you know, make an appearance uh, uh, within the same company that I'm in. Uh, I think uh, both uh, both those guys have, have just done an incredible job carving out a niche themselves and, uh, you know, really worked their ass off from uh, kind of an upside-down situation and turning into a, a hell of a career. Joe, Sunday's card, Great Balls of Fire. It's a name that, you know, we had a lot of fun with. Everybody's had a lot of fun with. There's almost been a tug-in-cheek reaction from WWE talent and announcers. It seems like this is a little bit ridiculous. We know it's a little bit ridiculous. Let's have some summer fun with it. When you hear, hey, Joe, you're going to be in the main event, the next pay-per-view. It's going to be against Brock, and it's going to be called Great Balls of Fire. How, how does Samoa Joe react to that? Uh, with... Uh... With the title. I, I mean, I very much look forward to it. I mean, let's face it. The, the moment that I heard the name of the pay-per-view, um, I remember saying to myself, you know, you, you say all, you have all your initial reactions, but, um, you know, I, I think I remember even online, just the, the audacity of the name in and of itself had everybody in the world talking about it or had people talking about the name of the pay-per-view in, when in years past. It was, you know, mo- most... Uh, Non, uh, you know, we, we're not talking about SummerSlam, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, etc. Um, you, you know, you wouldn't get as much uh, uh, just kind of talk in general. And, uh, you know, if Great Balls of Fire's audacity is that everybody talking about the pay-per-view and having it on their lips, and if me and Brock Lesnar main eventing that has uh, even added to that frenzy even more, uh, I, I can't help but say mission accomplished. That's a great way to sum it up because sometimes, you know, the fast lane, the backlash, it all kind of sounds the same. This is a pay-per-view you won't forget the name of. This is a main event I'm sure we won't forget. I said it from the beginning, Joe. They didn't have to build this feud, right? The the propensity for violence, the potential was so there. The fact that it was built so strong is only a plus for us fans. Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, great balls of fire. Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe. Joe, I know it's going to be a great show. Thanks for joining us. Best of luck moving forward. Thank you, gentlemen. Wow, great talk there with Samoa Joe. Lo- love that, you know, we sort of pushed him to get some answers there. The stuff about the muscle buster, the sort of the insight on how this feud was booked. Adam, let's jump right into this coming off of Samoa Joe. This is the match I care about the most. This is the marquee universal championship. Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe. I had just mentioned to, to Samoa Joe there, they didn't have to do anything to book this well. It's still, I still would have been fired up. Instead, it's arguably the hottest buildup of 2017. It's on fire this past week. They didn't put hands on each other and it actually worked, right? It was like a little break from seeing them brawl and how their interview segment broke apart on Raw. You've got Joe so angry chasing him down. What I took away from that is they allowed Brock, when earlier weeks he was a little bit more passionate and, and emotional because he saw Paul Heyman get beat down. Now he's back to arrogant, cocky heel who's going to be like, all right, Joe, come get me. And it just sort of reminded me, Although we felt like Brock was the babyface off the start because we saw Paul Heyman get beat down, this is really heel versus heel in a main event for a title, which you don't see a lot of, and it's successful in how they're pulling it off. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. Um, I'm looking forward to this match so much more than I ever would have expected, and here is the main reason why. 
if Brock Lesnar was fighting anyone else on the roster with the exception of, let's say, Roman and maybe Strowman, okay? So if he's fighting anyone else, Balor, Rollins, anyone else, you know he's winning. Like 100%, 0% chance the other guy wins. I think there's a 10% chance that just Samoa Joe comes in and, w- and wins this match. I mean, it is believable to me that this guy is angry, motivated, and passionate enough that he can come in and beat Brock Lesnar and win the title. Now, is he going to? No. And our, my prediction, obviously, is going to be for Lesnar to retain the title and take it into SummerSlam. Um, but I'm I'm jacked for it. I mean, I can't really think, and we've discussed this ad nauseum over the last few weeks, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I can't think of a recent feud that I've been so pumped up for, especially to my own surprise, than this one. No, that's a great way to say it. And I think you sort of summed it up best where they've got, as, as a mark, they've built you up to believe that not only Joe could go over, but that he's worthy of going over, that Correct. he is on this level. That's the greatest success of this build. Now, I think in my for where I'm booking the future in my mind, Brock has to win and keep the title because there's potential to do big business with Brock and Roman, potentially at SummerSlam this year, which can lead to a rematch at WrestleMania for all we know, which had been the initial sort of indication. I just want to see violence. I want to see hard way. I think we're going to see it. Who's your winner? Brock all the way. All right, next up for Great Balls of Fire. It's kind of a co-main event, a co-heavyweight main event. And as you mentioned, the Lesnar-Joe being heel versus heel, it's kind of face versus face, Roman Reigns against Braun Strowman in an ambulance match. Granted, Strowman's supposed to be the heel, but not with the reaction he's getting right now. Who do you have going over in this match, and are you actually excited for it? Okay, not only am I excited, I'm the most excited for this. Because of how physical and violent and consistent they've been with that, there's been very little talking. Like, I really didn't even like Braun Strowman's promo to, to start the main event on Raw this week. It's like too much talking. He's a monster. He's an ogre. Let him be that. You mentioned face versus face. I think it's almost their original roles have been inverted by the crowd's reaction, whereas Braun's getting the baby face reactions, partly because people just love him destroying Roman, but part because he's been put over so well that even though he's this violent dude, you just want to cheer for him because he's so incredible. The other half is Roman has been sort of willingly becoming the heel in my mind in the fact that there's no humility in him. He's just all, he's like almost toying with the crowd and sort of teasing them in a heelish manner. Everything about this has worked, even though this was going back to the well on the go home show this week and sort of do redoing the same spots of Roman being thrown on the stage, like a rag doll. You had the spear through the table. It still worked. I hated the predictability of Roman being in that end segment. I double hated the predictability of him being in the driver's seat of the ambulance yet because of how well it was booked, it still worked. That's a success for WWE as far as who wins. I'm going to go with Braun Strowman because I think he needs to. Because I haven't forgotten him losing cleanly to Roman at Fastlane in the main event. Well, not the main event, but in, in the build-up match leading you into WrestleMania. I thought at the time they shouldn't have done that because I thought it took the, the momentum out of Braun's balloon. And if you don't agree with me, he did not appear on WrestleMania, guys. Which also was like another popping of the balloon. Success to them that they built him back. But I think it's bronze try- time to shine here and go over. You're going to say, well, Campbell, then what does that mean? You know, or what about SummerSlam? I don't know yet. Maybe SummerSlam's main event will be a triple threat with, with Brock and, Bro- and Roman and Strowman. Oh, I don't know. I just think you have to further stamp what you're doing here. Reigns can lose, guys. He can lose once in a while. Let Brock go over. What do you think about the stipulation? I love it because it's 
gimmicky, but so is Great Balls of Fire, right? It's a summer pay-per-view. And I look back to that Cena-Ryback ambulance match that I still love and still and still watch once in a while. I think there's going to be some fun things they're going to do with that ambulance. and They're going to make this violent. And Reigns can sell now at a very high level. This is going to be awesome. I will not let any negativity get in the way of my mark done. I am pouring the milk of Marknesia two-handed like Kurt Angle at the Hall of Fame ceremony right now. Okay, I'm fired up. Do not, I, Adam. I don't want to come back down from this. Power, right? <laughs> I'm not taking you all this time to find out what I need. I'm not going to take you down. So I'm really excited for this match, and, and the, it being an ambulance match, I think is smart because it gives these guys an out to lose without being pinned. I think that's really important when you're talking about two monsters. I have a sneaking suspicion here. You briefly mentioned it. I have a sneaking suspicion that suspicion that we don't get a winner. Um, either they both wind up in the ambulance and the doors close, or they're just both so devastated and knocked out that one can't get the other in there. I'm not exactly sure, but you know, look, we you know we read the internet. Uh, we we mentioned Dave Meltzer in the Observer newsletter. We read his reports. Okay, so originally the main event at WrestleMania was supposed to be Lesnar versus Roman, which made sense that this would be Lesnar versus Roman. It's coming up at SummerSlam. Um, apparently that's changed, and from what he has reported. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Reigns-Lesnar at SummerSlam, or at least that's a direction they're considering or planning on going. I think the move is that triple threat match, because what else are you going to do with Braun if not with Roman or not with Lesnar? I really think they're going to find a way to get all three of these guys in that main event. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter who wins the match. Um, I agree that Roman can take a loss, sure. Uh, I think it would be a little strange for him to take a loss, coming out of just beating The Undertaker and possibly ending his career and saying he was going to challenge for the world title at SummerSlam or the universal title at SummerSlam. So that's why if I have to make a prediction, I'm going to go with Reigns here. But I really think we might see that triple threat. Let's move on. Women's championship match, Alexa Bliss against Sasha Banks. And I think I mentioned this to you previously. I thought this was a match they were going to save for SummerSlam. This was the one for me. This is the main Raw women's championship match that I want to see in a huge pay-per-view, but we're getting it early at Great Balls of Fire. How do you think this is going to go? I hope that we do see this at SummerSlam. So I hope that this is the first step. I hope that Bliss goes over and it sets up Sasha to to finally go over at SummerSlam and win back the title after you know some short pushes in that Charlotte feud last year, but she never really got her full time to shine. I think they've rebuilt her fine. I'm very happy with Bliss winning here, but knowing that the babyface will go over in the big one at SummerSlam. So I actually think Banks is going to win the title, and here's why. There, you know, there have not been a lot of title changes. We had the Raw Tag Team titles change, um, but there haven't been that many title changes since WrestleMania on the two brands combined. And I think at some point, I'm looking down this card, you know, I don't think the Tag Team Championship's going to change. We have the Cruiserweight also, the IC also. So I think that we're going to see a title change here with Banks winning and Bliss kind of fighting her way back into it for that rematch at SummerSlam. I did want to point out one thing from Raw about Alexa Bliss, just to show how good she is. She checked, was it Charlie Caruso? She checked her backstage <laughs> in such a mean, devastating, bitchy manner that I popped for it. I just laughed, man. Yeah, I, I Caruso's out of line twice, though. If, if, we're, if we're stuck in kayfabe here for sure, a second, sure. Caruso out of line. And by the way, Caruso's absolutely Gorgeous. I sure. think she's got a lot of potential with this company. She's good on the mic. She was out of line storyline wise to ask her both of those questions. Oh yeah, no, but it was the perfect response. Like it was it was everything I wanted her to do. She did. So I love that. Um I mentioned the IC title. We have the Miz defending against Dean Ambrose again. So 
I mean, what? Is this the 17th U.S. or intercontinental title defense between these two guys over the last 18 months? I don't know. It's crazy. I got no feel on this. I'm just going to say I hope the Miz defends and and we essentially move on here. It's been a it's been a good feud the last the last month in terms of the moments on Raw. I'll give them that. There's been overachieving segments, right? Like with the with the bear costume and the in the grandfather clock. You know, everything was fine. It overachieved to win me back in, but I do not care how it ends. I just want the Miz with the belt. Yeah, I haven't I haven't necessarily minded the renewed rivalry, but it needs to end. Like it's been now long enough and the Miz needs a new challenger and he needs to retain the title. We have Seth Rollins against Bray Wyatt. What do you think about this match just in general and who do you think's going to go over here? All right, Bray has to go over for all the reasons we said in recent weeks. I think they've built it up now where he will. And I think it's smart because there's been I've liked it. Other people haven't. I've loved the the, the spirituality and sort of the play the play back and forth of, you know, Bray, you're not a god, and Bray sort of at times making Seth actually question, like, am I dealing with a crazy person or a guy who actually can make maggots appear in the ring? Like, like I know it's it's hokey and, and Bray hasn't been handled well, but you can get Bray back on the tracks with a win here. It, please, let him win cleanly. Let him win devastatingly. I think it, you can still do business together moving forward. It doesn't have to be the end of it, but give Bray his moment here. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat what you said because I totally agree, but I do find it interesting that Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, for that matter, are kind of just hanging around, not really doing anything, and they're two of the biggest faces on Raw, and they're just kind of there and probably going to lose and whatever. But, yeah, it's strange to me. Tag Team Championship, we have a 30-minute Iron Man match, which I popped for. I love it. It's actually the first true Iron Man match uh, with a tag team in WWE history. They had a couple 15 minutes of fame matches with Eminem uh, back in the day, whatever the, that, that was called with John Morrison. Um, but this is a 30-minute Iron Man, Iron Man match, legitimate, the first one, like I said, in WWE history. Sheamus and Cesaro against the Hardy Boys. What do you think about this? I don't mean to be rude and curmudgeon I know I've given you this take at the last pay-per-view, but I'm kind of like done with this. Nothing against the Hardy Boys, nothing against Sheamus and Cesaro. They're doing the best works of, of their career together. I'm just not popping for this feud anymore. The matches have been have been solid. The storyline's been okay. I'm just done with it. I'm I'm fine. I'm moving on. Uh, like that. Seriously. Like, do I? Who would I want to have the belt? I want Sheamus and Cesaro. I want them to establish themselves further as heels right now. I think they're doing a good job. They deserve it right now. I'm just not overly moved. And I got to be honest. When I heard the stipulation of 30 minutes, I'm like, we got to we got to sit there for 30 minutes. I don't. <laughs> I'm excited about that. No, I am because it's going to be great wrestling. I mean, we, as much as we want to talk about. WWE upping the in-ring product. The matches with these two teams have been fantastic. And 30 minutes of the Hardy Boys, Sheamus and Cesaro, I'm down. We're going to see multiple falls. We're going to see some cool moves. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a on-purpose DQ from Sheamus and Cesaro to get him heat, kind of like Brock Lesnar did to Angle back in 2003, like hit him with a chair a bunch of times and injured him. Um, so I'm in- I'm interested to see where it goes. But I agree, just like with Miz and Ambrose, this is it. Like it has to end here. We need fresh blood on Raw for these titles, both of them, going into SummerSlam. Uh, All right, so we have Enzo Amore and Big Cass. I'm going to start this one out because I want to talk quickly about Enzo's promo on Raw. You know, I I joked a couple weeks ago uh, when we talked about the split up of this tag team. I basically said, well, that's the end of Enzo's career, you know. And I was joking, but I kind of, it was a little joke serious maybe because I I was kind of curious what he was going to do. This guy is so good on the mic. He has a future in WWE. He could be in the IC title scene. I see him and Miz in a head-to-head promo as absolute gold for that mid-card title. The question is, is he ever going to win a match? Because he never wins, ever. He, he never gets the opportunity to in singles competition. 
And it's just, it, it, it's bad. I mean, the way they've booked Enzo throughout his entire career, even while he's been in a tag team, has not been good. So I have Cass winning here, uh, I think probably pretty convincingly, which puts Enzo down a peg. Do you disagree? No, not in the finish. I'm just curious to see how, I'm more curious than excited about this because when Enzo attacked him from behind and it got broken up quickly, I, I sort of have that like, Mark fan in me that's going like, can Enzo actually compete with this guy? Like, how are they going to book it where Enzo can be believable to defeat this guy? So that's what I'm intrigued about. And I, the reason why I'm not excited is because I have a feeling that they're going to give him too much offense where it's not going to make sense in the match. I think if they do this powerfully and quickly, they can keep this feud hot, but there's potential here to lose people. Yeah. I think almost they can pull the move where like Enzo wants to hit him with a chair or something like that. But then it's like, Oh, this was my friend. You know, I can't do that. And then like, Cast takes takes over from there and just hey. By the way, the at the moment of truth, when he had Lana in that hotel room, he went. He had that same moment. He's like, I can't cash the ticket. <laughs> I can't do it right now. Exactly. Uh, last but not least, and I'm going to bring up another match after. But last but not least, here we have uh, the cruiserweight championship being defended. Uh, Neville against Akira Tozawa, obviously part of Titus Worldwide, which I am popping for. And I told you it was going to be good, man. I told you it was going to be good. But I love Titus. What do you think? Is this the time that Neville drops the title? It's not the time they drop the title, but this will be the sleeper match of the night. I think this is going to be a sensational match. I've been all in on the not only Neville's entire run as champion and the feuds he's been in, but the build toward this Tazawa match. Tazawa really came together in that Brian Kendrick feud and put off great stuff. And the build now with letting Titus O'Neil as his mouthpiece. Titus took over 205 Live this week. wasn't a great week for that show, but Titus was strong because to, for whatever reason, Tozawa was not present with WWE this week. And Titus was the mouthpiece he took over. He tra talked trash with Neville. It, it's great. It's got me built up. Tozawa is very interesting in the ring, and I think it's going to work really well opposite Neville, and I'm really excited about where this is going. I think Neville still holds it, though, because it's just been – he's your selling point on that show. I mean, he's the king of the cruiserweights in a literal sense and in, you know, in, sort, of, in sort of the actual storyline sense. He's the reason you tune in. He's been fantastic. In the dark, I feel at home. I'm with you, man. I stole that from you, too. But uh, listen, Cedric Alexander, for me, is the next Cruiserweight champion. I've been paying a lot more attention to him ever since. He's got to go over Neville. He's got to go over Neville. And he has to go over Neville. It's the only way he gets the full credibility. He's the next star of that division, and it's going to happen at SummerSlam, and it's not going to be Akira Tozawa this week. Here, you know his name we haven't brought up? Who? So you beat me to it because that's exactly what I was about to talk about. So that match, based on what I can tell as of right now, is not confirmed. But I think it's pretty obvious that we're going to see Finn Balor against the Drift or Elias Sampson. Or will we see a, and the, this is a rehash like a segment. Did, like, two pay-per-views ago, will we see like a Miz TV-ish segment? You know? Yeah, we might. Um, look, here's my thing about it. What are you going to do, put Finn Balor on the kickoff show? Like, uh, Well, what they've been doing is having, uh, having – that guy just sort of appear before a match randomly and play his guitar, right? And it has no association or affiliation with the match. So maybe they do that and Finn comes running out and they have a moment and they're like, okay, see, we're still doing this. But for Finn, as much as I want to see him put over Elias in a big way, I mean, I want to talk to Samson, right? Like, I love this guy. I still feel like it's like we're wasting time with Finn when he could be in the main event of SummerSlam and probably deserves to be, right? Yeah, like that's it, a, that's yeah a, it's a weird, it's just such a weird thing they're doing with Rollins and Finn. I mean, the Finn-Bray Wyatt rivalry made so much sense, and maybe that's where they're going to go, you know, heading into SummerSlam. But Finn and the Drifter, like, it just doesn't work. It doesn't. It almost would have made more sense if Finn went after, like, the IC title and Ambrose and the Drifter had something, you know? Like, that's something that I would actually believe, and it could have worked. Let's slide quickly through these DMs, all right? We love when you hit us up at B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, at The Costos. DM season is open. I mean, Swan Dive... 
right in there. And uh, let's let's hit this. Let's hit him hard. All right, starting off, Raymond Peterson at Raymond P33. He, he's saying, hey, guys, sorry I'm late to this Okada Omega party, uh, but I'm just watching the rematch at Dominion and then Okada's entrance. It's hitting him directly in the field spot. Right on. Right yeah. on. Okada's entrances are fantastic. He wants way. to know which active wrestler's intro gets the biggest pop and arouses the most hashtag Mark Milk out of us personally. Let's start with you. That's a very interesting question, right? Like, I don't pop for John Cena's entrance, but it does sort of raise the rent. Where even though I'm not a big Cena guy, when he does come out in the song and the 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 the, uh, the crowd is so attracted to him, so I get that there's certain guys that just their presence and their entrance it still really works. A guy for me, and maybe it's his theme song, and maybe it's the legend, is Chris Jericho. When I hear the break the walls down in the opening of that song and knowing who's coming out and that he has the potential to be hilarious and that he's got this legacy. I think in a weird way, even though I'm not like a massive Jericho Mark, that still hits me hard in the sort of this, this Mark Mill, Mark Milk moment where I pop when I don't know he's coming out and then it happens and it's like, Oh, whoa, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's going on here? So I'm going to go with Jericho and there might be, it might be a boring answer, but it still hits me hard. So I'm going to give two quick answers. One is which one aroused and got me the biggest pop all time it was Chris Jericho's debut on Monday Night Raw with The Rock and the countdown to the millennium. I actually was watching Ride Along for some reason last night, underrated show. They referenced it, and I went back and watched the episode, and man, that was some entrance. For me now, an active wrestler, you know, it used to be Finn Balor, especially with the demon paint and when they did the extended entrance, but right now it's Bobby Roode. That, when you hear Glorious yeah. and the piano and the whole thing, man, I just, I'm, I'm perked up. Like, I, I want to see what's happening. I know it's, it's kind of boring. He just spins around and waves his arms. So there's not a lot of excitement there. Um, but and this the, would have been Shinsuke in NXT, right? Like, I think it's yeah. almost like I've oh. heard the entrance too much. It's watering it down. But. Well, it's not even that it's watering down. It's just like, it, it's not meant to be exciting. He's a, he's a confident guy. He strode slowly. But the music is so good. It's so good, and I like Bobby Roode so much that that's what gets it for me. By the way, Okada has this regal royalty yeah. feeling to him when he comes out that with the with the robe, with the the confetti and the the money, you know, the money raining down. It's fantastic. A little, Okada, a little Ric Flair. Yes, and Okada is a stud. He, oh, I love him. The yeah. drop kicks are unbelievable. So let's hit up from Tony B at T Barg thirty seven. Adam, he wants to know, man, if they can get Kurt Angle back in the ring, him versus Ron Strowman would be money, according to Tony B. That backstage interaction on Raw was great. Question for you: Is Braun your MVP of the first half of twenty seventeen so far? Now that we are into July, so I'll take this in two parts. First, I'd rather see Angle Triple H than Angle Strowman. I don't necessarily need to see. Angle get thrown around and beaten. I'd rather him win a match and like get over and put all his moves in there. Uh, and I don't think he can do all his moves against Strowman, especially not at this age. I mean, Angle's strong, so no offense to him, but uh, I'd rather see him against Triple H, and I think we probably will, maybe at SummerSlam. Um, in terms of Bra uh, Braun being the MVP, uh, yeah, I, I don't think... There's a couple arguments. You could say Roman Reigns is the MVP because he's been front and center, and he would deserve that. But in terms of an unexpected star, someone that's really helped Reigns get over... Um, yeah, Strowman for me, absolutely. Yeah, we had answered this a couple months ago, and we had said Kevin Owens at that time, and he's taken right. a step back in booking. AJ's taken a step back. I think it really is Roman or Braun or Samoa Joe for how amazing he's been pushed. But my wild card outlier answer, he's not deserving of number one, but I tweeted this on Monday night, that what The Miz has done in the first half of this year deserves attention. Obviously, his 2016 was renaissance year for him. I think he is in that conversation for MVP because he's been so incredible on the mic from the Cena feud now to rehashing Ambrose. I love my man, The Miz. So we got another Aussie sliding into the DMs. Shout out to Brisbane and Jamie Mitchell at Sport. He's given us a little, uh, a little love here. Congrats on the success of ITC, the best fan-hosted wrestling podcast 
out there, guys. If you fans, I mean, we are fans, but is that an insult? Well, I, th- I think he's saying not wrestlers. I think he's saying not Austin, not not Jim Ross, like guys like that, which are very good, you know, podcasts. I think he's saying guys that are fans and analysts, you know, and, and good for him and good, and good for us. And anytime you want to flatter us, you, the chances of your question getting read in the DMs goes up <laughs> automatically. D. Mitty, my man, he's always flattering me. He's a heel on this show, but D. Mitty's my guy from Australia. Uh, so anyway, Jamie wants to know. You know, he always wonders what's going to go down when VKM, uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, finally decides to walk away from WWE. When he calls it quits, how is his departure going to be executed, and who is handed the reins? So it's a dark question, and the use of executed in execution is a dark <laughs> thing because here's the deal. Vince McMahon will never walk away from the top spot at WWE like Al Davis. And this is morbid. He will pass away in office at the controls at the top. Obviously, there's other scenarios. He could have a health scare. He could have a a, a really bad health turn that takes away his faculties. Obviously, those things can happen. I think, I mean, he's in such great shape. He's such a smart mind. I mean, he's absolutely ripped. Everything about him is still top shelf, whether you disagree or agree with the company's direction at times. I think Vince is going to be there until he physically cannot handle it. And I think at that point, it will be a combination of Stephanie and Triple H. And I actually think there would be some positives of where the company could go. And I know Shane's still around, so maybe there will be a power struggle for all we know. But I think there's a positive direction if you like a lot of the elements on NXT that aren't being shown on the main roster. And I say that with full respect to Vince because I'm now talking past tense in this this question as if he's not around. I get the premise in this, and it is a morbid premise. But I think in Triple H's hands, there is a bright future ahead. I think he will ultimately be the real guy in control. As far as how it's executed, who's handed it, you know, again, it's going to be a bad situation for all because of Vince's legacy for what he's still able to do for the company now but it's not like adam he's gonna hit 75 and go you know what? i'm gonna start golfing right you know so i think we all know how that's going adam yeah outside of your answer do you think it is triple h or do you think it could be a, a fight between shane and stephanie and everybody else so I, uh, I so you're right vince is never going to retire um hopefully he's able to step away uh for one reason or another and, and have there be some type of natural succession type deal going on um if that happens, and if it goes that way, then I don't think it's going to be addressed. I don't think it's going to be executed in terms of TV. Like, I don't think there's going to be a mention of it. Things are going to go along, and that's just how it's going to go. Now, you know, if he passes and in office, and that would be awful, um, then obviously you're, it's, you're talking about one of the biggest stories in sports. You're talking about an icon of the industry and the man who built this from not nothing, but from something that would never have been what it is today without him. Um now you're talking into the power struggle, and the answer is that who's the right person? It's Triple H. He's proven it with NXT, with a lot of the things he's done, glowing, growing the global brand, etc. He's the man to take WWE and continue growing further, and you can make arguments about how he got into that role, um, but, <laughs> but you know, it seemed, everything seems genuine and loving, at least to me. I have to wonder how Shane, you know, it deals with that situation when it comes up. It may already have been a conversation that's been addressed. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if it has been. There's a reason Shane came back to WWE after apparently succeeding in some other ventures away from WWE. So I'm really curious to kind of see what happens there. Um, who takes what roles behind the scenes. My guess is that Shane and Stephanie split, split, uh, split a lot of the business aspect and they put triple H in charge of creative. 
Yeah, I mean that that's that's the way that's the way it's got to go long term. You know, I still, by the way, think that there's a lot of money in Triple H against Shane for control of the there company is. in a WrestleMania main event with Vince in one corner and Steph in the other. Vince having to decide between my real son and my adopted in-law son who I love, and it's going to be like the good son with Macaulay Culkin. I love that 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 scenario. Hey, that's our show for this week, right? We were able to fit in the sliding in the DMs. We had NJPW hard. Many thanks to our guests Samoa Joe. Guys, please get out there, subscribe, rate, review, hit us up hashtag in this corner. Let us know you're listening. We're here for you. There's a podcast for the people, by the people. Hey, we're all fans in the end. So for my co-host, Adam Silverstein, for the Greek, Nick Costos, we'll be back next week. Adam, I'm going to throw the lob to you. we got two words for the people. We out. <laughs>